It's about the Jew and Gentile reconciled through Christ. Beginning at verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Can't you hear me? Sorry. (laughs) Which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ, Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. <laughs> My name is Joel. I'm one of the pastors here at uh, Wollongong Baptist Church. If I haven't met you, I'd love to meet you over morning tea, which we'll have afterwards. Um, today slash, no, yeah, it is today, sorry, today, uh, we're continuing our series called Jesus' Church. Uh, it's a six-week series. We began last week, and this week is our second week of the series. And in this series, we're studying the identity of the church and how the activities of the church flow out of our identity. Uh, last week, to quickly get up to the speed, uh, we talked about what is most central to our identity as a church. We talked about how the church belongs to Jesus. I give you three points from Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 10. I said, uh, because of, sorry, with Jesus, no, sorry, without Jesus, we are the walking dead. With Jesus, we are made alive, and in Jesus, we are new creations. This week, I'm going to give you three more reasons why the church belongs to Jesus. That's the plan, but before I dig into it, I'm going to pray. So if you'd like to pray, please pray with me right now. Father God, we want to thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much how you reveal yourself to us through it. We thank you so much for the gift it is right now to sit under it. And Lord, we pray that you may teach us, Lord, that you may change us, Lord, that you may help us to worship your son more and live for him. We thank you so much for the gift of the church, for our church, and the blessing it is. And Lord, we pray that you help us to love it more and to be united to it. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, A few years ago, my family and I uh, travelled to London to visit my brother-in-law, Joe. Now, Joe and I are massive Chelsea football fans, and so one day we travelled to Manchester City uh, to watch Manchester United versus Chelsea at Old Trafford Stadium. Now, we bought tickets in the away section, and we also bought blue jerseys the day before so we'd fit in with the crowd. 
for the whole game. I kid you not. We didn't sit down. We stood up. We were singing. We were clapping, cheering on our team. But unfortunately, Manchester United scored and scored really quickly. And so our whole section just went dead quiet while the, the rest of the stadium literally did a coliseum-like roar as they stood up and applauded. It was incredible. I've never seen anything like it. Nevertheless, we kept on singing and just kept doing what we could. It was really depressing as they, Manchester United scored again. I couldn't believe it. At half-time, we were very down. But in the second half, it happened. Chelsea scored a goal. And it was like a bomb went off next to me. Like, literally, everyone around me, we're high-fiving, we're applauding. I'm literally hugging people I do not know. People are slapping each other on the back. It was incredible. It was an epic celebration. Like, I I never witnessed anything like it. On that day, it didn't matter what race, what occupation, what sex you were. If you followed Jesus... I mean, not Jesus, you followed Chelsea, sorry. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> then you're part of that family. But then, you know, that, and that was a really cool family. Like, I really enjoyed it, but it was, it was shallow. Like, it was over a plastic ball, and it ended when the game ended. You see, it ended a two-all draw, which wasn't too bad. And I remember we were walking down the stadium, and we were singing out, Chelsea, 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 in this big, like, well, small group of blue. And then we get out of the stadium, and then all of a sudden, there's literally tens of thousands of people in red Manchester United shirts. And so our community just evaporates in seconds as we put on our jackets, pretend to be Manchester United fans, and walk to the bus stop, so we don't want to get bashed. You know, it was a good community, but it was very temporary. Now, why am I telling you this story? Um, Well, last week I gave you three reasons why the church belongs to Jesus. And I maybe didn't say this as explicitly as I am right now, but last week I was trying to focus on how Jesus saves individuals, how, how Jesus saves you and me. This week, as we look at this passage, what I want us to see is that not only does Jesus save individuals, but he also unites people to together and to God. You see, we're going to look at why does the church belong to Jesus from a different perspective today. And what we're going to see is that Jesus not only saves people, but he unites people. We're going to see that Jesus creates a community, that he creates the church. A church that is better than any football community because it's one that lasts forever. And it's one that is not built on some shallow plastic ball, but it's built on the foundation of Jesus, who lasts forever and is worthy to be praised. So like I said, we're going to look at Ephesians 2, verses 1 to 22, and I'm going to give you three more reasons why the church belongs to Jesus. Here are the three reasons, just in case you're taking notes. The first one is this. Without Jesus, we are divided. Without Jesus, we are divided. The second reason is with Jesus, we are united. With Jesus, we are united. And third point will be in Jesus, we are a new united community. Anyway, have your Bibles. Open them up. We're going to look at verse 11 to 22. We'll begin in verse 11. Our first reason why the church belongs to Jesus, because without him we are divided. Should hopefully be up on the screen as well. Let me read out to you verse 11 and 12. The Apostle Paul says this to the church of Ephesus. He says in verse 11, Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that the time you were separate from Christ, excluded Excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. And these two verses, what Paul is trying to say to the church of Ephesus and to our church is he's trying to say, remember what you used to be like. He's saying, remember what you used to be like before you met Jesus. Remember how you were divided. 
specifically in verse 11, he says, remember how you were divided from the Jews. Remember how the Jews hated the Gentiles and the Gentiles hated the Jews. You see, when this letter was written back then, Jews hated Gentiles and and Gentiles hated Jews. You know, they, they would hate each other so much that they get this. If, if, say, a Jewish woman wanted to marry a Gentile man, that instead of going along to the, the wedding, the Jewish community would go along to that person's funeral. Like, that's rough. That, that's hatred. Like, ladies, could you imagine this? Could you imagine being a Jewish woman who's getting married to a Gentile man? Can you, marry, can you imagine on your big day when you're all pampered up, you're in your dream wedding dress, getting ready to marry that spunky man, and you're ready to walk down the aisle, and you're ready to walk down the aisle with your father, and he's not there. But instead he's down the street planning your funeral, or holding your funeral. These two people groups, they hated one another. There was division. And this reality, sorry, the reality is before Jesus came, this great division was between the Jews and Gentiles. It had been around for centuries. And in particular, you see it in the temple itself. You see, when Paul wrote this letter, Herod the Great's temple was still standing. And if you don't know too much about the temple, let me explain something to you. In the temple, there was a temple area and then there was courts surrounding it. And immediately outside the temple was the court of priests. And then, and then a bit east of that was the court of men for the Jewish men, and a bit east of that was the court for the Jewish women. You see, all of those courts were on the same level. Now, where was the court of the Gentiles? Well, the court of the Gentiles was 20 steps down from those other courts, and there was two large walls in between the court of the Gentiles and the other courts. And even on those two walls had a big sign that said, trespassers not will be prosecuted, but trespassers will be executed. There was division and hatred between these two people's groups. And as people who live 2,000 years later, like we can look at them and go, these guys are crazy. Like I can't believe humanity used to be like that. And then we think, well, actually, wait a minute. There's more wars today than there was back then. There's a war similar to this in Northern Ireland, in Spain, and Cyprus, and Baghdad, and Israel still. There's wars everywhere around our world. And if Donald Trump gets in, he'll want even bigger wars between America and Mexico. And so, we realize that we're just like this culture. And so what do we see here? In verse 11, Paul reminds the church in Ephesus that they have division between the Jews. But then in verse 12, he reminds them how they have division with God as well. And here he gives five different uh, explanations as to the division between um, the Gentiles and God, or what the division they used to have. The first one, is he says, is that you were separate from Christ. In other words, you were separate from the Jewish Messiah. And then secondly, Paul says, remember how you were excluded from citizenship in Israel, how you didn't belong to God's people. And then he says, thirdly, remember how you were foreigners to the covenants of promise. In other words, remember how you didn't have the promises to Abraham and to Isaac and to Jacob and to David. And then fourthly, Paul says, remember how you used to be without hope and how you used to be without God. Like last week, in these few beginning verses, Paul has been confronting here. He's uncomfortably reminding the the Ephesian church how terrible life used to be. He's offensively saying to them, remember how the Jews knew the real God first. Remember how you worshipped Greek gods who were actually false gods. Remember how the the gods you worshipped were actually rubbish in comparison to Jesus. You see, Paul is being outrageous here. He's saying Jesus is the only God. 
You see, in summary, in these verses, he's saying to the Ephesian church, remember how you used to be Christless, stateless, friendless, hopeless, and godless. In these first two verses, he's saying, without Jesus, you were divided. And the reality is, unless you were born a Jew here today, these verses also describe what our life is like before we follow Jesus. We're divided from God, but also from other people. In the book of Romans, another book that Paul writes, what he says is that by nature, we're not born friends with God, but instead we're born enemies with God because of our sin, because of how we follow the world and the devil and the cravings of our flesh. We are separate from God by nature. A few years ago, I um, traveled into Sydney City to watch a concert. There's a band called Linkin Park. If you don't know who that is, doesn't matter. Uh, and we parked in this uh, car park that was below the street in a basement car park. And it was a few levels below the street level. And so um, to be able to get back to the uh, street level and obviously get to the concert, we had a choice between the lift or the stairs. Now, naturally, we looked at the stairs and went, bah, who takes the stairs? We're going to take the lift. And there's a group of us. There's a baby, like, I think it's five of us guys. And some of my friends are big, big guys. Anyway, we pressed the lift and uh, we went to get into the lift but there's lots of people already in the lift and so we're like oh should we get in should we not get in I'm like should we wait I'm like no we're running late so let's get in and so we got into this lift and we just ignored the weight limit thought we'll be right no worries anyway someone pressed the door the doors closed the lift didn't move it did this like jump thing like it stalled and then we're like oh that's weird and then someone tried to press the button to like try again it didn't move try to press the open door button that didn't work someone tried to press the emergency button that didn't work and then all of a sudden everyone straight away same time gets out their phones no reception <laughs> it was like if i'm honest with you it was it was scary um but what was even more scary is that my friends, like I said, big guys, bigger than me, stronger than me, they're trying to pull the lift door apart, could not open it. And then there's this guy next to me, and he literally gets down on the ground. He says, this cannot be happening. We're all going to die. We're all going to die. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't say that. On that day, to be honest, on that day, we were freaking out. We were separate from the world, from fresh air. Fortunately, though, someone from the outside decided to press the button, and for some reason that opened the lift door, like reset it, and so it opened it up. And so all of us at the same time just ran out of that lift. And then we went to the stairs. I've never been so thankful for stairs in my life. And we got to the concert okay. You see, in Ephesians 2, 11 to 12, Paul is reminding us that if you don't have faith in Jesus, if you're not a believer, then you're separate from God and from his people. Look, maybe today you're feeling far from God and maybe you've been ignoring the warnings on your conscience like we ignore that weight limit warning in that elevator. Maybe you've been rebelling against Him, living life your way, and instead of finding peace, joy, and community, you're finding conflict, pain, and division. And you want to know God. You want to, you want to, you want to be united to Him. If that is you, well, then Paul's next few lines is going to be really good news for your soul. Why don't we have a look at it? You see, in verse 11 to 12, Paul's depressing us with the bad news like he did last week. But then in verse 13, the mood changes. He begins with a but. And what does he say in verse 13? He says this. He says, But now, in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. In the verses that follow, in verses 13 to 18, or sorry, 14 to 18, Paul tells us the second reason why the church belongs to Jesus. And that's because with Jesus, we are united. With Jesus, we are united. And so why don't we read these verses, 13 to 18, and what Paul says. 
He says this, he says, But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who are near, for through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. You see, in verses 11 to 12, Paul's saying, without Jesus you are divided. But then in verses 13 to 18, he's saying, with Jesus you are united, united to God and to his people. How? was through faith in Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross on your behalf. You see, in this passage, in four times, the word peace is repeated as we're told Jesus is our peace. We're told that he reconciles, that he brings two people into one group. And what we see here is Paul's trying to explain to us is that Jesus unites us horizontally with one another, but then he also unites us vertically with God. Jesus unites us horizontally with one another and then vertically with God. How does he do this? Well, let's firstly have a look at how he unites us horizontally with one another. Specifically, he's talking between the Jews and the Gentiles here, but it applies to us too. In these verses, Paul explains to the Ephesian church that Jesus reconciles these Jewish and Gentile enemies, these two people groups that hated one another. How did he do this? Did he build a wall like we see today? No, he demolished a wall. He got rid of the wall. You see, he destroys the dividing wall of hostility, just like they destroyed the Berlin Wall in 1989. If you don't know much about the Berlin Wall, it it was basically a 5 metre high, 45 kilometre long wall that separated Germany. And it was destroyed in 1989. And in many ways, this wall metaphorically represented the real wall between capitalism and communism. For the Jews and for the Gentiles, yes, there was physical walls in the temple, But the real wall was actually the Mosaic law. The Mosaic law, the the law of the Old Testament. You see, in the Mosaic law, this was a barrier that separated the Jews from the Gentiles. It was a law that had ceremonies and commandments about how the Jews were to remain clean and to avoid being unclean. Now, the point of these laws was to teach God's people that that they're unclean, that they're unholy, And it was to help them long for this Messiah that would make everyone clean and everyone holy. In verse 15, though, Paul tells us that Jesus, he destroys this wall. How does he do this? Well, he perfectly fulfills the law. He flawlessly and perfectly fulfills all 613 commandments. But on top of fulfilling the law perfectly, he dies as the perfect sacrifice on behalf of everyone else who didn't fulfill the law perfectly. You see, when Jesus fulfilled this law and died as a perfect sacrifice in our place, he unlocked reconciliation for all people. He unites us to God and to one another. You know, similar to how, like, if you ever played a computer game or if you played Pokemon or, um, I don't know, and you get to a certain level, and when you get to a certain level, it unlocks certain things. Well, here, Jesus' certain level of holiness, of righteousness, unlocks reconciliation for us. He unites us horizontally with one another. He removes the hostility between the Jews and the Gentiles. So there's peace. 
But not only does he do, not only does he remove this hostility, this dividing wall, but he actually creates a new community where these two become one. When I was little, I bonded with my dad over history, and in particular over the World War One and World War Two wars. Um, we really enjoyed, for some reason, looking into it, and so we would watch movies, we'd build models, we'd read books. Well, look through the pictures. Uh, and, and one Christmas time, I remember I was given these little green plastic army men. I think they've been around for ages. Uh, and so I used to get these green, these, oh, not just green, green or grey, sorry. The green was the allies and the grey was the Nazis. So good guys, bad guys. And I remember spreading them out across my living room floor. And I used to do enactments of World War I and World War II. Uh, and I used to love it. It was a lot of fun. But do you know what uh, never happened in any of my reenactments of World War I or World War II is not once did the green general go up to the grey general and say, hey, let's just not fight. Like, let's just be friends. Let's just go out for a coffee. Let's, let's, just, let's just put all these conflicts behind us. Never did that happen. Now, why is it the case? Well, it's because he was green and he was grey and I was a little kid. So they hated each other. Like, there's not going to be any peace. What we see here is that Paul is saying not only does he, would he bring, not only is Jesus bringing two enemies together, but he's creating a new community at the same time. It's like to use that, I guess, the illustration of the, the green and the gray man, it's almost like Jesus is bringing these two groups together and then he's painting them all white. So they're a new community, bonded, united towards one another. They're not just enemies that are at peace, they're allies who are united through Jesus Christ. So, Jesus, he he unites us horizontally with one another, but then secondly, he also unites us vertically with God. Let me remind you of what Paul says in verse 15 and 16 here. I love these verses. In verse 15, he says this, His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he puts to death their hostility. I love these verses and how incredible they explain to us how we are united to God. You see, church, the reality is because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we deserve to be divided from God. We deserve to be separated from Him for eternity. But the good news of the gospel is that at the cross, Jesus' blood was shed. He went through hell. He experienced the eternal pain of being separated from God the Father. So by faith in Him, we don't have to. So by faith in Him, we be united to God. May we receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So in verse 18, so we have access to God the Father. What a gift that is. At the beginning of this passage, Paul confronts us. But here he comforts us. He says, if you follow Jesus, you'll be united to God. And so before, if you're feeling like, Joel, I'm feeling far away from God and I want to be closer to Him. If that is you, then what you need to come to understand is that without Jesus, you are further away from God than you fear. But in Christ, you are nearer to God than you can ever hope for. If you desire to know God, if you desire peace with God, if you desire unity with His people, then you've got to follow Jesus, His Son, who unites His people together and unites people to God. So, why does the church belong to Jesus? First two reasons. Without Jesus, we are divided. With Jesus, we are united. Let's now look at the third reason. In Jesus, we're united to a new community. In Jesus, we're united to a new community. Um, 
I don't know about you, but personally, I'm a sucker, uh, not for reality TV shows in general, but I'm a, re- I'm a sucker for uh, episodes in reality TV shows where they do makeovers or when they do like reveals. I don't know about you, but it's something really powerful for me when I watch like Beauty and the Geek or uh, and I watch The Block and, and you see this before picture and then you see this after picture. There's something incredible about seeing something that someone or something that's really ugly get turned into something that's really nice. Um, to be honest with you, it sort of reminds me about getting a haircut. Um, I don't know about you, but whenever I get a haircut, I go get a haircut when I look awful. Um, so when I walk into the hairdresser, I'm feeling ugly, my shoulders are back, I'm lacking confidence. But then what happens? Well, Neil, my barber, he does some magic. 30 minutes later, I walk out of the door feeling like a stud muffin. My shoulders are back. You know, I can't stop smiling. I've got this newfound gift for finding reflective surfaces. And if you're honest, you do the same. And if you don't, you should go to another hairdresser. Like, honestly. Now, why am I talking about this? Well, in verses 19 to 22, Paul is revealing to us uh, what the Ephesian church looks like now. He's saying, like, this is the big reveal. You used to be like this. This is what Jesus did. Now this is who you are. This is the big reveal. And so in verses 19 to 22, what does he say? He says this. Let's have a look at it. He says to these people, to these Gentiles that were far from God at one point in time, he says, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. In verse 19, he says, look, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but you're fellow citizens with God's people. He's saying, he's using two metaphors here to begin with. He talks about citizenship and he talks about family. You see, firstly, he, he says, look, because of Jesus, you need to understand that your real home, it's not Australia, it's not Wollongong, but it's with God and his people. But then secondly, he says, because of Jesus, you're united to him, your real family, it's not necessarily your physical family, but it's God and his people, your spiritual family. Church, we belong to Jesus because we're united in him. We're a new nation, we're a new family, a new community. And a new family whose foundation is Jesus and a new family who's built together, joined together through Jesus, as Paul tells us. Like, like how amazing is this? Like, no matter if you have a beautiful family or if you have a broken family, in Jesus Christ, you can belong to His family, the perfect family. Which maybe today is imperfect still, but one day will be flawless and one to belong to. Earlier, I talked about the Chelsea community, and I talked about, you know, it was good, and it was fun, but in reality, it's nothing in comparison to the new community of the church. It was built on a shallow foundation, on a plastic ball. Whenever my team loses, that community scatters and complains. But when it comes to Jesus and his church that he unites, it's built on a foundation that never fails, the foundation of the gospel. You see, community is only as strong as the foundation you build it upon, and nothing is as strong as our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter what life throws at you, success or suffering, Jesus' family will be there for you and love you and seek to love you like Jesus loves you. That's a family I want to belong to. 
one of the things I love about our church here at Wollongong Baptist Church is how we are a family, but also how we're a diverse community that is united over Jesus. Like, look around. Like, seriously, look around. I'm not just saying it. Like, look around. Like, like there's people here of different ages, different rages, different cultures, different occupations. And what are we united over? We're not united over some football. We're united over Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Look, if you're a follower of Jesus here today, there's one thing that I want you to try and leave here thinking about. And what I want you to leave here thinking about is that you are a united one. Jesus has united you to him and to his people. You're a member of his family, of his household. You're a citizen of his people. You see, I want you to leave here thinking about, okay, I'm a united one, not a divided one. Now, why is it important that we we meditate on this, we think about this, that we're a united one, not a divided one? Well, I think it's critical that we do, in particular as our church goes through this transition, as we split into two different services, there's going to be temptations for us to think, oh, I might just skip this week at church because, I don't know, I just don't feel like it, or it's just going to be a lot of work. And it's always a temptation for us as Christians. But I think if you come to understand that part of your identity is that you're a united one, not a divided one, that Jesus Christ has made you in Him to belong to a new community then that won't really be a question for you. Instead, you'll be like, you know what, I want to go be with God's people because that's what God saved me into. He hasn't saved me into being an individual. He saved me into a community to belong to. Now, maybe you think, Joel, okay, so last week you wanted me to love the church. This week you want me to be united to the church and commit to being united to the church. But like, Joel, don't you understand how flawed the church is and how flawed the people are? Well, yeah, I do. And so as I'm starting to finish up here, I want to read out to you a quote that I think is really helpful. It's a quote from a guy called Charles Spurgeon. He was a famous pastor in England, and he pastored a church for 38 years. And so he knows about the imperfections of the church. And nevertheless, he said this about the church. And I love this quote. I'll read it out to you, but also it should hopefully come from the screen. He says this. He says, Give yourself to the church. You that are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope that you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it, for it would not have been a perfect church after I became a member of it. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. The church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it. If you are the Lord's, no, nor need your own faults keep you back, for the church is not an institution for perfect people, but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace, who, though they are saved, are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers. I love this quote. What Spurgeon is saying is that the church is the dearest place on earth, not because it's a perfect place, not because the people are perfect, but because the people are trying to be like the perfect saviour and are trying to point people to the perfect Jesus. I know that our church has plenty of imperfections. I'm one of them. But let me tell you, the church belongs to Jesus. He loves it and he wants you to love it as well. And he unites it and he wants you to be united as well. You see, the church belongs to Jesus. Without Him, we are divided. In Him, we are united. And because of Him, we belong to a new community. May we love it. May we be committed to it, especially for the weeks and months and years and generations that follow. Because it's a blessing to belong to it. How about I pray to close? Father God, we want to thank you so much for the good news of the gospel that 
Without Jesus, we are divided, separated from you and do not know you. But because of him, we are united to you. But also we are united to your people, a group of people who are imperfect, but one day will be made perfect through you. Lord, we thank you so much for our church and the blessing it is. Lord, we pray that you may help us to love it, help us to invite more people here, and help us, Lord, to point people to Jesus and not to ourselves. Because we are all sinners saved by grace, who need your grace to work through our lives. And so we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.